to just see somebody being honest. I don't care what their position is. The fact that they're willing to be straight with me and are not just trying to pander to me by saying things they think I already agree with, I think is really refreshing. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Hey, hey, what you say? You're back here at the Lions of Liberty podcast, and this is episode 116. You can find the show notes for the show at lionsofliberty.com slash 116. Today's show is sponsored by Health Excellence Select. If you are sick and tired of dealing with your Obamacare insurance, you need to look into Health Excellence Select and the amazing concept of health sharing. For more information, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. We are also sponsored today by LibertyManiacs.com, your one-stop shop for political and satirical apparel and merchandise. As a listener of this program, you can receive a 10% discount on your entire order by using discount code LIONSOFLIBERTY at checkout. So head on over to LibertyManiacs.com and express your inner Liberty Maniac. My guest today is the executive director and legal counsel for the Independent Voter Project, a group which is heavily involved with the end partisanship movement, which we will discuss here today. Chad Peace, welcome to the Lines of Liberty podcast. All right, thanks for having me. Chad, it's great to have you on, and I'm really excited to talk about these projects here with you because, to me, partisanship is one of the things that holds our political system back in so many ways. It really just prevents any kind of reasonable debate from occurring in the first place, which, of course, is what we need to to make any sort of advancement in our political system. But before we get into that, why don't you just tell us first how you became involved in politics? What first sparked your interest? Well, it has a lot of stories. It depends on how far you go back. Uh... Let's go all the way back, all the (laughs) way down the rabbit hole. You know, full disclosure, I grew up in a political family. My father served in the California legislature for a number of years, and through having experience during his time would be, you know, considered independent, quote-unquote, revolutionary, and seeing what happens to folks who, you know, really try to challenge the system, I really just thought, you know what, I don't really want to get into politics, and I want to do things without all that stress. (laughs) So then, skip forward along, you know, about 2006, my friend forwarded me a uh, YouTube video of Ron Paul on the Republican stage, and I, I saw this guy who was just Oh my God, he just says what he believes and he doesn't care what the pollsters and the media and all that are going to say. And that really kind of drove my passion saying, you know what, maybe I should get involved. I can do something about it. I mean, about 2009, after Ron Paul's 2008 presidency, my uh, current business partner, uh, then and now, we decided that Ron Paul's presidential campaign was over and we would try to draft a guy named Rand Paul, who was his son at an eye doctor in Kentucky. So uh, having led that successful draft effort, uh, I actually went back to law school uh, where I started practice, you know, started learning everything I could about election law and pretty much anything related to politics. Um, And then the Independent Voter Project approached me in full disclosure. My father is a board member on the Independent Voter Project. And they said, hey, we're trying to do things to change the election laws in California. Here's why we're doing it. And can you guys help us by utilizing some of the tools and everything you did back in your crazy, what they call their crazy Ron Paul days? And I said, "Uh, you have a long, hard battle ahead of you. But yeah, let's do it. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's funny about Ron Paul and how many people he really did inspire, even if it's not in in lining up exactly with his philosophy in every way, shape, or form, but even more of an overall way of just the idea of speaking out and telling the truth and saying what you believe, even if it goes against maybe mainstream political thought. And it's it's kind of says a lot about our system that just the idea of, of someone saying what they think stood out so much and stood in such stark contrast to the way most politicians operate, which is uh, really, really does speak volumes about the state of the system as it is already. Right. Well, I think, I mean, I think one of the things that's misunderstood about Ron Paul's, of course, there's a lot of folks that share his philosophy. I share a lot of his ideas. I don't agree with everything he has to say, but I mean, even within his own philosophy, right? The libertarian philosophy is has an appreciation for the individual and individual thought, right? And so one of the things that attracted me that I know attracted people all across the political spectrum was a guy who said, this is what I believe. I'm willing to say it and I'm not going to turn to my pollsters or let the media decide for me what the appropriate thing to say is, you know? And I think really the reason why so many voters are disengaged, whether they're far left, far right, or in the middle, wherever they are, I think voters are disengaged in large part because they don't really think anybody's having a genuine conversation with them. So, you know, right now you look, you see Hillary coming out and the president saying, let's have mandatory registration or mandatory voting, and that's going to get people to vote. But they don't ask the more fundamental question is, why don't voters care about voting, right? Maybe maybe we ought to speak to them like they're adults and have real conversations instead of conversations that have been manufactured by our pollsters. And maybe voters will come back and want to participate. But I think voters have wisened up to the fact that the game's rigged, that the conversations politicians are having with them aren't real. And so as a consequence, okay, well, we got kids we got to take to school. We got laundry to fold. We got games to play. Why am I going to listen to you BS me so that I can give you my vote? Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned there with the game being rigged, because I'll, I'll use that phrase a lot, but then you get people saying, well, come on, it's not that bad. There's debates on TV. There's elections. You can go vote for whoever you want. I mean, you know, so what would you say to people that don't really see the problem as it is? Why is the game so rigged in your view? Well, I think the way you view it being rigged is the way I think we think about elections fundamentally, right? I, the first evidence is when you look at political maps, why are they colored red and blue? Um you know, we have red and blue maps because parties have claimed entitlement to districts, right? And that's done because some districts are red because the election is, for all intents and purposes, decided during the Republican primary, right? Some districts are blue because, for all intents and purposes, the election is decided during the Democrat primary. So really, at the Independent Voter Project, and what we're trying to do is ask a fundamental question. Should we ever accept an election process that serves political parties and allows a political party to claim entitlement over districts when the idea of representation itself is to serve everybody, not members of a particular political party. Why do you think that is that there are certain areas, whether it's a, a county here or a state there, that, that parties just feel entitled to? Is it because that, you know, the voters just traditionally have always voted for that party in that certain area? Or, I mean, is it a little more nefarious? I mean, are they literally rigging a lot of the process along the way? 
Well, I mean, a lot of us are familiar with things like gerrymandering, right, where it is deliberate. Legislators get in a room and they say, "Okay, let's push a bunch of Democrat voters in here. Let's push a bunch of Republicans there. And that way your party could have this district. My party can have this district. We can save a lot of money by not having to compete here. And then we'll we'll compete over these four or five districts that are left. Right. So that's one way that's intentional. The other, I think, is just over the years, right? You have to, if you step back and think about the primary election process in the first place, we institutionalized primaries and created direct primaries at the turn of the century, right? Um, it also happens to be about the last time we had a serious third party challenge, the Bull Moose Party, right? Since that time, we've never really had a serious third party challenge. Well, since the time that direct primaries were instituted by the states, legislators who are members of these political parties have slowly redefined the laws by making ballot access requirements harder. They've made it harder for independent candidates run. They've taken over really the media outlets by controlling the dialogue, right? Their pollsters go out and run polls and then they decide what the issues of the campaign are going to be. And then in turn, that's what the media reports on, right? So everything from the media to the rules to the candidates are all designed around this two-sided debate, right? It's the Republican versus the Democrat. Those are the viable candidates. So that's the only thing we should talk about. So as a consequence, we have an entire electorate that's presupposed that elections are a competition between two teams, right? And then so when you accept that premise, you accept that there's one side over on the left and there's one side on the right. And so that, that begs the question, If you don't want to take one of those two presupposed sides, where do you fit in? And I think the decreasing voter turnout is the result of more and more people who don't want to take one of the two sides. And they say, well, I guess I don't fit in at all. And so I just won't vote. And it's even worse out here in California. As you know, they recently instituted this this top two system. And when when I go to the general election, last time I went to go vote, there was offices where not only was there not a third party available to vote for, there were some where my choices were Democrat or Democrat. It's absolutely crazy. There was literally no choice. So can, can you speak on the top two system for a little bit? I'm sure you're familiar with it first. So And just how that kind of um, really makes this problem even worse. Sure. Uh, I can, full disclosure, I actually helped author the top two, and I'm I'm actually a big advocate of top two. Okay, because I've heard the other angle, so maybe you can provide a reason why it's, why it's better. Right, and because, well, if you think about um, how top two came about, my father actually assisted in the drafting of the original open primary in California back in 1996, which basically said that We're going to have open primaries and voters get to choose which primaries they want to vote in. And then the top vote getter from each primary goes on to the general. Well, the Democratic Party took that primary all the way to the Supreme Court and said, our primaries are our private nomination process. And the state of California can't tell us to allow non-members to participate. I actually think there's a lot of merit to that argument. But what we did in California was we changed the presumption altogether. And we said, you know what? The primary election does not serve the Democratic and the Republican Party. California taxpayers are paying for it, so we're going to get rid of the partisan primary altogether. So what we have to focus on in California is that we've changed the purpose of the primary. The primary doesn't serve the purpose of electing private party nominees. It serves the purpose of narrowing the candidate field. So for the first time in California history... We have an election process where every single voter, candidate, and party are treated exactly the same. So to go back to your district, for example, where you have party-on-party races, 
Well, remember, those candidates aren't representing the party on the general election ballot like they did in the past. And that's why if you I don't know if you followed like Senate District 7, there was a special election and two Democrats ran off in the general. Steve Glazier won that election and he's a Democrat and he's an anti-union Democrat who ran on the platform that he was going to challenge the unions. So he won that election. So in California, in a district that's right next to San Francisco, we had a candidate elected who was willing to take on the unions, where under the old, the old system, the Democrat would have, who was sponsored and sanctioned by the Democratic Party and the unions that support him, would have won the primary with ease, never had a challenge. Then he would have gone to the general election and there would have been no competition in the general election. And we would have had another candidate in the legislature that just did whatever his party and their funders told him to do. So I do appreciate the argument about less quote unquote choice under top two in the general election. But the reality is that the parties have manipulated the election system by controlling the primary elections. Right. So they've put us all in the mind frame that elections are about party and they're not about the individual candidates within that. So I would say, for example, if you had a district where it was Republican on Republican, you could have a Lindsey Graham or John McCain Republican versus a Rand Paul, Ron Paul, you know, Thomas Massey, um, one of those type Republicans. And my question for you would be, is that a choice? Because I would say that's a major choice, right? The, the difference between electing Rand Paul and Lindsey Graham is extraordinary. Absolutely, yeah. But that's the point of top two is to say, we don't suggest, first of all, that top two is the best all, end-all, be-all system, right? There's, there's systems we ought to visit. We ought to talk about ranked choice. We ought to talk about proportional representation. We ought to talk about approval voting. We should talk about all of these. But given the constraints we're working in, when we passed top two, it was our opportunity to take a stab at the very fundamental idea that we ought to set up an election system that puts parties first and voters second. So we have a lot of work in terms in terms of educating folks about what top two is really about. Um, it's about having nonpartisan elections and rather than the discussion that goes on that's really fed by the two major parties, that it's about limiting choice and stuff. It's a fundamental different take on the election process. And I think evidence that it's working is that last year in party on party races, 67% of the candidates who were not endorsed by the party, won. Wow. That's a really interesting perspective that I, that I hadn't heard before, Chad. I'm glad you brought that up here because the only other perspective I had heard, it was an interview that I heard with Nicholas Sawark, who's the head of the, the National Libertarian Party, and his concern was basically that, you know, you're you're never going to see a libertarian on the ballot now, and you're never going to see, you know, any, any of those sort of disenfranchised voters that might, while they know that their libertarian candidate might not win, they don't have a place for their vote now in the general election. But I, I hadn't thought of it from that, that direction that you're giving as well, which is basically that, yeah, I mean, there's no way an anti-union Democrat would ever make it to the general in the first place so that, that really is an interesting perspective so now obviously like you can agree it's not a perfect solution but um it does you know sort of show how you know either way our, our system is kind of screwed so we have to think of some sort of interesting ways to tweak it and see how we can at least make it a little more fair and and i guess on the surface when you go into the booth and you see democrat democrat it seems like oh this is totally rigged where it's actually um you know maybe not as rigged as it was before in reality the, the real problem to me why do i even need those party names next to these people i'd, I'd 
better we just look at the people, look at they with the, what they believe and go from there. And I, I don't want to speak on behalf of the Independent Voter Project on this issue particularly. Right, right. You're speaking as Chad Peace. To be honest, I'm with you on that. I why, you know, I wouldn't be adverse to getting rid of the party labels altogether. You know, I think private organizations ought to act like private organizations and I fully respect the rights and the role of political parties for Democrats, Republicans, and Libertarians. I think the problem is when you basically give corporate welfare to these political parties by saying you get special rules within the election process, right? If we're talking about the economy and we said these two companies get to have special rules in terms of reaching out to consumers, right? And say, okay, you guys get to set up stores. And if you're not one of these two companies, well, you can uh, try to sell to consumers, but you're not allowed to have a store. We would find that absurd. But when it comes to the election process, look at the state of New Jersey. They conduct an, an, a closed primary election. Less than 5% of voters have participated, yet the taxpayers spent $12 million on it. And you can't even participate in the primary unless you join the Republican or the Democratic Party. And if you combine that with the fact that there was, there's not going to be one single competitive general election this year, at what point do individual voters, the individual voter, ever have a meaningful vote in that process, right? The state of New Jersey has given the Republican and Democratic parties a sanctioned duopoly over the most important part of our, really, our entire system of representation, the election process. I think in many ways, people don't even actively, many people anyway, don't realize how the system works. Because back when Ron Paul, to get back to that, when he was running in 2008 and 2012, I can't tell you how many people that, that told me, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll vote for Ron Paul. I like Ron Paul. I would vote for him. Meanwhile, none of them are registered as Republicans. None of them were going to vote in a Republican primary ever. And none of them were ever going to have the chance to vote for Ron Paul because of that. So, so it really is, even if you see someone out there you like, the odds that you're even going to get to vote for them unless you decide you want to join that party are very slim. Right. And what we did with npartisanship.com, we supported a lawsuit that asked the New Jersey courts, and now we're asking the Supreme Court, is a fundamental question. Should a voter have to think about whether or not they want to join a political party to participate equally with other voters in the election process, right? Under the First Amendment fundamental right to associate and not associate, which, by the way, is the same right that the Democratic Party asserted when they overturned California's old open primary system, don't voters, just like parties, have a right not to associate with people they don't agree with? And so how can you set up an election process that says, in order for me to participate, I have to go join this organization and make my voice heard? We just fundamentally don't believe that's how our democracy or representative democracy in this country should work. And Chad, there are a couple fronts you guys are working on here, both through the Independent Voter Project and through the partisanship.org movement, which you guys are a part of. And you know, one of those is the legal channels, which we've discussed here. And another one is really just the, the public perception of things here and the push for open debates. I know that's a big thing you guys are supporting. So why don't we first talk about why the debates are so rigged now? Who actually runs and controls the debates and what candidates are in them according to our present system? Right. Well, I mean, something that the average person is probably not aware of is that the commission, we have a commission on presidential debates, which is composed of members who are all members of the Republican and Democratic Party. Right. So it's a commission in charge of setting the rules and determining the candidates that get to participate. 
But all of those members are members of the two political parties. As a consequence, they write the rules so that third parties can't participate. Independents, sure, they can't participate. And they even make the requirements so that candidates inside their party that they don't like, it's really difficult to get them to participate. I mean, that's why Ron Paul was shut out of debates in 2008 and 2012, you know, and if Rand Paul weren't so popular and well-known, uh, they would do it to him here this year. But um, really, that the Commission on Presidential Debates is not established for a public purpose. They're established to define rules that serve the private benefit of the Democratic and the Republican Party. Is that commission a governmental body or is that a completely private organization? It's a private organization. Quote unquote private, I should say, because, you know, the, the Democrat and Republican parties receive a ton of money for elections. And if they're basically the ones running this commission, I mean, it, it might be private and it is technically, but in many ways, they're really controlling the, the public sphere of, of our elections. Right. Well, you're I think you're going to the core of what really our grievance in our lawsuit has been is that on the one hand, you have you know, both the Republican and the Democratic Party running to the courtrooms at every chance they get every time a state tries to make the rules easier for third parties or independents or anybody who might challenge the two parties, they run to the court and say that violates our private rights, right? But you never hear them run to the courtroom and say, hey, state, stop giving us so much money to run our primaries. Hey, <laughs> right. state, stop giving us special caucus rooms in all the legislatures and stop giving us media platforms and doing all this stuff, right? It's really an ironic that how much state subsidies they take, yet they run to the courtroom and argue their private rights all the time. Sure. Much like they are in their political rhetoric, most of these politicians only seem concerned with rights when it actually directly affects them or when they have a specific sort of piece of legislation or, or what have you that they want to push. It's not actually a principal position for the vast majority of them. So what are the odds? I know you guys are really pushing for open debates. And I know in, back in 2012, we did see a, a sort of third-party debate. They even got Larry King to host it, which is really cool. But at the end of the day, it was a third-party debate, and it didn't really influence the national discussion in any way. So is there any chance at all we could see a debate in 2016 with more than just a Republican and Democrat on it or that actually has a broad appeal outside of those two parties? I mean, the short answer is I hope so. I mean, you got guys like Zach Carter and, you know, he's been working on open debates and you have uh, organizations like Change the Rule who are trying to sue the presidential commission for essentially, um, you know, for uh, creating a duopoly over the debates. Um, and there's a couple other groups out there, too. Um, my hope is that between all these efforts that they can either combine forces or through, um, you know, getting enough people aware, they can establish a debate that really does really is um, effective and reaches a lot of people. Uh, I don't know. There's extraordinarily high hurdles in order to break the uh, quote unquote monopoly over the debate process. But uh, I know there's a lot of people who really care about making a difference. And I, I, I encourage them to do it. And we're going to do anything we can to support any one of those efforts. Yeah. I mean, when I think about a potential uh, quote unquote debate between, say, Hillary Clinton and Jeb Bush for happening for, for three months, it just it's just excruciating to me. So, hey, I hope that's not the end result. But, uh, you know, if they are the two figureheads of their party, I, I would heck, I would love to have a Gary Johnson or, or a, a Jesse Ventura on stage with them, at least at least making things interesting, at least holding their feet to the fire in some way. Although um, the odds of that may, may be pretty slim, but hopefully with people like you and, and, and partisanship and, and organizations like this, at least pushing this stuff, maybe there is some hope for that in the future, if not, if not in our immediate future. 
I sure hope so. <laughs> well, Chad, um, one more thing I want to touch upon you with um, is an article you recently wrote, and this kind of does, does a full loop back to what we originally talked with Ron Paul getting you into the whole political thing recently in the last you know six or eight years here. And you wrote an article basically suggesting that Bernie Sanders was going to be taking a lot of the Ron Paul voters this year, or at least, or at least sort of dragging them in and, and, and getting them interested. So what do you see in Bernie Sanders that kind of reminds you of the way that Ron Paul sort of um, sucked people in and, and earned the respect of a lot of people, even if they didn't necessarily agree with everything he said? Right. And I, well, I think the most simply, most basically, it's authenticity. Um, you know, I come from working on an, on an issue that is completely non-ideological, right? At the moment, we start trying to create an election process that assists one ideology, right? You can't really be a fair referee. But the one thing I see, regardless of ideology, that really brings voters back to the table more than anything else is authenticity, right? The idea that somebody's speaking to them, and even if they don't agree with them, they know they're being honest about it. And when they make mistakes, they're going to make honest mistakes. I think that idea of authenticity authenticity is fundamentally the most underestimated quality that a candidate can have. And so at a time when, you know, all the quote unquote mainstream candidates go to their pollsters and their pollsters run polls that ask voters how they feel about issue A, B and C, and then that candidate runs out and says, oh, I'm for that too, right? You know, it's very refreshing for voters who really don't think about politics as much as you and I and don't think that they have the right answers to everything like you and I might um, to just see somebody being honest with I don't care what their position is. The fact that they're willing to be straight with me and are not just trying to pander to me by saying things they think I already agree with, I think is really refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I can't imagine a scenario where I would be out um campaigning or voting for Bernie Sanders but because he has a lot of ideas that I, I could not be more fundamentally opposed to but he does come across as someone who says what he believes and is not just sort of um, you know sticking his fingers in the wind to see where things are going and he does take a lot of positions that a lot of Ron Paul folks should be in favor of you know he's, a, he's against a lot of the foreign meddling he's against the NSA spying he's against a lot of stuff that we can reach broad agreement on with other people that might not share sort of a full philosophy a full libertarian philosophy that I might hold and well I'll probably ne- will never support the guy uh, in any substantive way. I'll tell you what, I'm thrilled that he's going to be in these debates, and I, I can't wait to see the kind of barbs he's going to toss at, at Hillary Clinton and whatever other uh, hacks, I guess you might say, the Democrat Party might throw out there. Right, and I agree, and I think, look, if uh, imagine uh, the difference between a debate between Bernie Sanders and Rand Paul and a debate between Jeb Bush and Hillary Clinton. I mean... You may not agree with a lot of stuff in the Bernie and Rand Paul debate, but you know what? They would have a substantive conversation and they would address each other's points and they would have a genuine argument, right? (laughs) And I think that's the point is that a lot of people are starving for that genuine, serious, substantive debate. And whether or not they're going to agree with the people on particular issues is really not relevant to the voters, the majority of voters who are just asking for a debate, period. I actually read an article the other day suggesting that Bernie Sanders could actually cost Rand Paul the election and could actually cost him New Hampshire, which would essentially really hurt his primary chances because while New Hampshire is seen as one of the most important states and it's really a natural place for someone like Rand Paul with his freedom message, they have an open primary and a lot of people there might, instead of going out, you can actually choose to go vote for a Democrat primary or a Republican primary. You can't do both. So a lot of the people that might have chosen to, say, vote for Rand Paul in the Republican 
Republican primary might actually say, ah, you know what, I actually like Bernie better, and they might actually show up for Bernie instead, which could really hurt Rand Paul's numbers. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I just thought I'd toss that out there. And I think there's, you know, there's legitimate concerns if you're a Rand Paul supporter about that for the reasons that we discussed, right? There are going to be people that are torn and maybe they think, you know, this is the better way to go, which goes to what we're doing when you look at the primary election. Um, Here's a question that very few people ask. Why does an independent senator who's never been a part of the Democratic Party have to join the Democratic Party to run for president in the first place? Yeah, that's a good point. Most people don't realize Bernie Sanders is only now a Democrat for purposes of running for president, but he's always been elected as an independent. Right. And so why don't we challenge that assumption that somebody has to run? Well, he has to because the Democrats and the Republicans have exclusive control over the part of the election process you have to participate in. And if you want to be the president. Right. So I think questions like that need to be asked. But I I mean, I I think the concern that, yeah, some voters who may otherwise vote for Rand Paul might vote for Bernie Sanders. I think it's a legitimate one because they both Rand and Bernie share uh, similar qualities of authenticity. It really does just highlight the problem that Bernie Sanders and Ron Paul as well, because Ron Paul even stated that he, he ran as a Republican, not necessarily because he was in line with the, all the principles laid out by the Republican Party, but because there was just no point in running as a libertarian because it was counterproductive. He spent all his time trying to gather signatures and money and all this stuff that was taking away from actually being able to get out there and deliver his message, which is the whole reason he was doing it in the first place. So it really does speak to, to the larger problem of our system. And I'm glad there are people like yourself, like the Independent Voter Project and and like endpartisanship.org that are out there really trying to push this issue and and at least curtail, if not finally, eventually, put an end to this whole partisan system altogether. Chad, before I let you go, why don't you just run through all the various ways people can get involved if they're concerned about this issue and people can find your work and help out with the Independent Voter Project and with endpartisanship.org. Uh, first, you go to endpartisanship.org and sign the petition to end taxpayer funding of the private party primaries. Uh, You can go to IVN.us, which is the Independent Voter Network's news website where we talk a lot about these issues. And the last place you can go is uh, IndependentVoterProject.org, where you can find all the information about the lawsuits we filed and other ways to get involved. Chad Peace, thank you so much and keep up the great work. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Mark. Believe me, guys, I know nobody likes dealing with health insurance companies. It's bad enough that you're sick, but now, thanks to the ACA, you're forced to pay for all sorts of coverage you don't even want or need, and the odds are you are indeed paying for it. I was frustrated, too, until I did some research and found out about health sharing, where like-minded, health-conscious individuals get together to cover each other's medical costs. And now the fine folks at Health Excellence Select have taken it to another level with a complete health care service combining health sharing with personal care assistance to help you find the doctors that you need at the best price, 24-7 phone access to physicians, along with discounts on dental and vision. And if that wasn't enough, they even have a website that works, if you can believe that. Guys, if you are struggling with a solution to your health care needs, look no further than Health Excellence Select. For more information, head on over to lionsofliberty.com health. Guys, if you're anything like me and like to wear your political beliefs on your sleeve, Liberty Maniacs is there to help you literally do just that. Liberty Maniacs is an independent brand that designs and sells some of the world's favorite political and satirical apparel and merchandise. From funny political t-shirts to libertarian-minded posters, art prints, humorous mugs, and thousands of other products sold by some of the most trusted retailers, 
Liberty Maniacs has become a top source for liberty lovers of every stripe all across the globe and a thorn in the side of everyone from the NSA to top politicians. And now, Lions of Liberty listeners can get 10% off your entire order by entering the referral code Lions of Liberty. That's all one word at checkout. Again, that's referral code Lions of Liberty for a 10% discount. Head to LibertyManiacs.com. Wear something worth saying. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Chad Peace of the Independent Voter Project, as well as npartisanship.org. Chad is working on multiple fronts to try to change the laws in this country, both locally here in California and in the larger scale of the way our electoral system is run. And there are so many problems with the way our electoral system is run. And look, no, I... Voting in and of itself is not necessarily the key to advancing liberty or a free society, but I do want to take a second now to address some libertarians out there, many of them might call themselves anarchists, who will blatantly just sort of poo-poo any sort of attempts to participate in the voting process whatsoever. They'll make the argument that, well, if you're voting, if you're participating in this process at all, you are supporting, quote unquote, the system. And the system is a coercive system. And I agree that it is in many ways. Our governments are not run based on consent. They are not run based on private property and consent of the governed. Our governments at all levels craft laws that have nothing to do with consent of the governed whatsoever. War on drugs, anyone? Hello? Millions of people are in jail. So, of course, I'm not going to argue that our government is, is functioning well or that the political system is fair or just. It's not. It's not at all. There are two things you can do when you identify a problem like that, okay? There are two things. Really, only two things. You can, A, address that problem head on. You can get into the belly of the beast. You can fight the corruption. You can expose the corruption. You can expose the problems. You can call out the people who are doing so much wrong to others. Or you can take the attitude that many anarchists, I'm not just trying to call it anarchists here, that's not what this is about, but or any other libertarians at all, regardless of their, their full philosophical view, who will say, if you participate in this system, you are part of the corruption Well, no. You know who's part of the corruption? Whether they know it or not, people that tell liberty-minded individuals that they should not participate in politics, that they need to stay away. They need to go start Silk Road or something. That's the key to liberty. And they'll say, and a, a complete agreement when they say this, that the key is education. We need to educate people. We need to teach them about the ideas of liberty. That's absolutely correct. I couldn't agree more. However... We live in a real world, and we live in a country, at least for those of us in the United States, no matter where you're listening all over the world right now, all of us live in some sort of political system. And none of it's great, none of it's perfect. But you simply retract from it, especially, especially if you are someone who's inclined to support libertarian ideas, even vaguely so, even if we don't all agree on what that means. That segment of the population, the people that are inclined towards liberty, those are the people I want the most active in politics. Those are the people that need to get in there, get into the fire, and confront these people and change this system. I'm not saying we need to tweak here and there and that's how we'll have liberty, but there are actionable things that can be done through politics that literally save people's lives, that literally set people free. Out here in California, we had Proposition 47, which I was more than happy to go out and vote for because that changed the status of many drug possession offenses, even retroactively for people that were currently in prison, from 
felony charges to misdemeanors. Now, that might just sound like a small tweak. It might not sound like a big deal, but for those individual people, it sure is a big deal. For many of the people, it means an immediate release from prison. For others, it meant a reduction in their sentences. For others that don't have other felony charges, now they're not even considered a felon. They only have a misdemeanor on their record. Oh, what does that mean? Well, if you're a felon, if you're you can't vote. If you're a felon, you can't buy a gun. You can't defend yourself. There are many things you can't do if you're a felon. So a lot of those people will immediately have the ability to participate in the electoral process restored. They'll have their ability to purchase a gun and defend themselves restored. I will never understand the argument that says that voting for Prop 47 is akin to pointing the gun of the state at someone. Who the hell is it pointing it at? It's, it's pointing the gun away from some people and, and, and giving them more freedom in life. Now, I don't think just participating in politics, but in and of itself, is necessarily going to change everything. Voting for politician A or B isn't necessarily going to change anything. But are we really going to act like politics can do no good whatsoever? And it's true, it can't. It can't if all the liberty-minded people, all the people with the great ideas, are being herded and corralled away from it. And off and told to go start a, a, a freaking invest in Bitcoin and start Silk Road and live in their mother's basement and post on their blogs about how much they hate the state. Guess what? That helps nobody. It helps nothing. And I'm sick of it. Oh, I'm sick of it. Am I fired up? Tell me if I'm too fired up. <laughs> All right. My blood pressure's rising, so maybe it's time to wrap up the show, guys. This is why it's called the Wrap Up Rant, because I go on a rant. I don't know where it's going to take me. I had no idea I was going to get this fired up when I started talking about Chad Peace. But, um, hey, here we go. I do appreciate Chad Peace and the work he is doing, despite what the anarchists might say, that, that he's, uh, you know, helping support the system or whatever. Uh, I think that's BS. And frankly, I am thrilled at the prospect that we might actually see open debates. It doesn't look like it's necessarily going to happen right now or right here. But, man, someday we got to have the Bernie Sanders, the Jesse Ventures, the Gary Johnsons, the Rand Pauls. we got to have them all on the same stage debating and talking in a, at least, you know, spouting things they believe. Not these same cookie-cutter heads that just speak out the same establishment talking points over and over and over. My God, Jeb versus Hillary? Really? Really? Is that what we have to listen to? Really? If the anarchists have your way, that, that's who you'll get, because they want everyone with, with any other beliefs to just get the hell out of the whole thing. All right, I'm done. I'm done. Getting too angry. <laughs> I'm not angry. I'm fine. I'm having a good time. I'm just sitting in my house talking to my microphone. Nothing to see here, folks. But I'm going to keep doing this if you like my rants, or if you don't, I'm going to keep doing them at least twice a week. And there's a good chance that myself and my Lions of Liberty compatriot, John Odermatt, will be doing some ranting. This coming Thursday, when we feature the return of our semi-regular feature. The Felony Report. The Felony Report. That's right, we'll be back with another edition of The Felony Report, where myself and John Odermatt look into the issue that we refer to as the plight of felons. You can, of course, find the whole Felony Friday archive, the series which this podcast is a companion to, at lionsofliberty.com slash Friday. In the meantime, there are so many places you can hear our show. Have I mentioned that? You can hear us at libertytalk.fm on the weekend, 6 p.m. Eastern, Saturday and Sunday. You can hear us throughout the week at the Liberty Radio Network, lrn.fm. You can, of course, find this show every Monday and Thursday at 
lionsofliberty.com and the full archive at lionsofliberty.com slash podcast and you can interact with it in so many ways on our social media facebook.com forward slash lions of liberty look up the lions of liberty forum our private group on facebook you can interact with myself and our other contributors and talk about all the stuff that we talk about on our website our, discuss our articles discuss our podcast we want you to really make this a conversation come and speak to us and advance the ideas of liberty that's what we strive to do that's what we're going to keep doing each and every episode here at the Lions of Liberty podcast. And until next week, folks, live long and live free. Head of Editing and Mastering is John Dobbins.